want to have a conversation about what are the Jewish ethics of power. And by the way, it's not simple, because as Michael Walzer has pointed out, the fact that the halachic tradition developed for 2,000 years in a period of powerlessness means that our discourse around just war, for example, is very thin. Like, you know, it's not like the Catholics who spent thousands of years thinking about questions of power. They abused it, of course. Right. But so, but, so I think it's actually really, really hard, but those are the conversations we need to have. Rabbi Shai Held, it's great to have you here on this uh, podcast. We're doing this live at the Z3 conference, 2023. Um, it's a great honor. I'm a, Thank you know, you. I uh, consider you one of my, uh, my uh, rabbis, so it's just a great honor to have you here at the conference you. with your keynote and now this conversation. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So um, this is a Z3 podcast, and what we typically do, um, these happen often in between the conference. And what we try to do is to have similar or meaningful conversations around a variety of topics, uh, not dissimilar from what happens at the conference outside, and so we can use other platforms to reach people, if it's a podcast, if it's video, et cetera. So that's the context for this. Um, and we're thrilled that you're here. So um, we'll, we'll see how this goes, see how this goes. So I want to start with just like how you're doing. I like that, how Janine started, you know, like, how, are, how are you? How yeah. Are you, doing? you know, I think that my primary experience these days is how quickly I cycle through emotions, like incredible grief one moment, indignation the next moment, a sense of deflation. It's just like, just a very intense set of experiences. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot is that spiritually we have to cultivate capaciousness, the ability to hold a lot of different feelings and experiences at the same time because it's just a dizzying time in so many ways. I think also, you know, just thinking a lot about the immense loss. I, I think I might have told you this, but a um, Ilan Troen, who's a professor of Israel studies at Brandeis and Ben-Gurion, who I've known since I was a child, um, his daughter and son-in-law died lying on top of their son when a gunman entered their home. And I don't know, I just can't stop thinking about them. And um, the Goldberg Polins, who I know, and Hirsch, and you know, what is it like for a month obviously to be a hostage, but then to be a parent of a hostage and know that you have no idea how they are and where they are. It's just, it's a lot to carry right now to be a Jew. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah, you touched upon that a little bit in the keynote um, related about how difficult it is to be a Jew in this moment. And there's so many angles of why that is, right? There's the physical element for sure of just being threatened. And then there's the emotional, which is what you're kind of uh, pointing to now. And so I wanna, you know, I, if you can maybe Give us a little bit more insight into how do you how do you think about how do you cope with it? You know, you you are a, a rabbi. You have um, many students, right? Maybe it's not like you don't have a it's not a shul, but but it's still a community. Right. It's still a community, and you have to, you know, there's elements of self care, right? And there's elements of, of providing for others. You know, the pastoral role of a rabbi, and I I think it'd be very helpful for uh, our audience to hear a little bit about that if you're willing to share something. About the self-care specifically, yeah, or about yes, also the self. Like, I mean, how do you? I mean, I mean, the truth is that for both of them, because we have folks who are in leadership roles, right? So they have to do also self-care, and they also have others. But I think all of us, in a way, are caregivers, right? No one is right. entirely on their own. So I think you know, it's just it's a matter of scale, maybe. But but still, I think both of those, um, you know, insight maybe for just like a, a glimpse into to some things that you've been finding helpful. 
Right, you know, I would just add to the mix that I think it's also an incredibly complicated time to be a parent and to figure out, I mean, bracket how much harder it is to be a parent in Israel right now. Let's just yeah. sort of stipulate that. Yeah. But to be a parent here and to feel on the one hand that you want your child to feel safe and on the other hand that you want your child to have some sense of what's happening to our people right now. Yeah. And it's such a complicated dance and obviously each child is totally different, but it's exhausting. Being a parent is always exhausting. Being a parent right now, I find just really, really hard. I just wanna say that because I think maybe that's helpful for people to know that like you're not alone in finding this moment really, really hard. You know, I think I would go back for a minute to what I said a moment ago about capaciousness. Um, I think one of the things that I've been trying to do when I feel this like overwhelming flow of emotion, anger, confusion, you know, despair, is just sort of to take a deep breath and say, yeah, this also. Um, it's just to hold it. You don't need to chase it away. You don't need to act on it. You just need to find a way to hold it. And one of the things I think that becomes possible is that you in saying this also, you're not fully identified with it, right? I am anxious, but I am not my anxiety. Mm. I am despairing, but I am not my despair. Yeah. I'm still, right, there's still some, there's some self there that is not completely, yeah. you know, um, immersed or drowning, maybe it's a better word, in, in that feeling. Um, I do think you're right that um, caretakers need care. Um, one of the things that I would say to rabbis and educators is it's okay for you need to need a rabbi too. It's okay to, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think I, the second Shabbat after it happened, I approached Rabbi Gordon Tucker with whom I go to shul and I just said, can we just go for a walk later and just, you know, and it was just very helpful for me to be able to do that where it was a situation where I wasn't expected to be on. I could just talk about. Yeah. So I think, you know, rabbis need to carve out the space for that and not to feel guilty about needing it. Needing it is part of what it means to be human. And that's not true only for rabbis, obviously. It's true for educators. It's true for parents. Talk to other parents, right, with whom you're on some level, you know, in, you know, a similar values universe, a similar, you know, psychological, just talk about how it's hard. Like there's company in that that is really precious. Yeah, yeah. I find that incredibly helpful. I know that for us here, you know, being Israeli in, in this area, um, it, it's, it, there's on the one hand a lot of comfort that we find with, the, with our local Israeli uh, compatriots, I'd say, but also um, a lot of, we, we all are um, uh, importing a lot of our angst and, you know, the baggage that we have as Israelis and what we, uh, you know, I think there's different layers of, of guilt and shame that come with that. Right, like our families are there. You know, everybody has family, right? But the degree of it, I think, is, is different. And, and I'm, I think what I'm trying to say is that it's it's so helpful, right, to be you know to be with peers. And also, I think that what I find, and I'm curious how this uh, uh, sits with you, is also like some perspective. And so maybe someone who is actually not from the same kind of right. You know, it's interesting. Personally, I have found it helpful in these few weeks that I'm married to someone who does not have the same kind of Israeli connection that I do. You know, I was raised by Israelis. We spoke Hebrew yeah. at home. Yoram Gaon was the side, <laughs> you know, soundtrack of my childhood, you know. 
And my wife is completely, I mean, don't misunderstand, she's devastated by what's happening, but there's a little bit more remove, and I find like I can sort of take comfort in like just for a minute retreating into her remove. Just a little bit of distance. A li just a little bit of distance, right? Yeah. Um, which I most of the time don't feel at all. I mean, I like to joke, you know, I could tell you anything that has gone on on Reshet Bet in the last 24 hours because it's on all the time, right? It's completely crazy, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and my wife has been helpful to me saying, are you sure you need to listen to that when you say you're taking a break, yeah. right? And so that's, that's helpful, you know, to let someone remind you that nobody can do this 24 hours a day. And, and, and yes, there are feelings of guilt of what, you know, Israelis don't have a choice and the parents of the hostages don't. Okay, that's also true. But, you know, you're in the situation that you're in. That's the only situation that you're in. And you're not making it easier for them. Right, exactly. Right? Like, you, we feel often or we think that we're helping them bear, um, two rabbis, right, but bear their cross, right? But we're not, we're not really. Not really, right? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a hard world, Kadosh Baruch Hu has put us in. Yeah. It's uh, there's a lot to carry right now. There's a lot to carry. Yeah. Are there any? Um, you know, I um, because of dealing with the conference, I'm totally like bottling out all, all you know, pushing it into like a my growing um, uh, collection of uh, pet ulcers, right? But like, <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> Pushing it all down, suppressing right. it, and and trying to figure out. But I'm I'm, I'm just interested, you know, because I I find in Dafka in these moments, you know, we we started the day, um, you know, Shai Wingarten read that Kaddish, right, about the a really devastating yeah. piece. I hadn't heard yeah. it before. Yeah, the the absence of of God, and I, and on the one hand, it very much resonates for me, you know, it resonated because like where and you know similar questions have come up in the past and will continue to. But I. I'm also, I also want to hold, right, um, this ability of saying, how can, how can relying on um, a belief, right, or a theology of sorts can be helpful in these moments? And how do we, how do we think about them? So I'm not looking to do like a whole theodicy thing here. Right, you right, know? of course. Um, but just like, has, you know, is it a, a prayer or, a, or something specific that you found helpful? Or maybe not, maybe like, you know what, this is not my, not my uh, pedagogy in this moment. Yeah, it's a really interesting and difficult question. I think that I might say a couple of things here. One is that I have found the two chapters of Tehillim that are most commonly associated with times of crisis, Psalm 121, Esayinai el Harim, and 130, um, Hashem. So Psalm 130, is like, on some level, if you think about the meaning, it's very problematic. It's all about how I'm suffering because of my sins, so please, God, forgive me, and then you'll redeem me. But I've come to realize that there's something about the sound that it feels almost like a mantra. Mm. And it has given me, personally, a lot of comfort knowing that for thousands of years, I mean, Psalm 130, already in the Mishnah, is associated with crisis, which is, I assume means it probably goes back to Beit Sheni, to the you know, second temple. The fact that for thousands of years, Jews who felt despair said these words, I find that like holds me a little bit. It doesn't solve my problems. Yeah. It's certainly not a theodicy. It's none of those things. Yeah. But it's like, oh, you know, in 1550, my great, 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 whoever who was, you know, afraid of a Cossack, you know, might have davened these words, and somehow I just take comfort in what it means to be part of a family that kind of exists 
over time. Throughout time. Yeah. Um, so that's one, one thing that I have found helpful. I also, you know, I struggle with this because some days it means everything to me and other days it feels trite to me. So it's like I never know what's going what's gonna to surface for me. But on the one hand, you know, this feels like another experience of the absence and the silence of God. And on the other hand, I just watch what people have done for each other. And it feels like a, like a signal of transcendence in some way. Like, how do people do this? Right? I mean, you know, in Israeli society, you know, everything from retired generals getting in their car, driving south and liberating their grandchildren. I mean, yeah. it's just hard to fathom, yeah. right? To the much more day-to-day -day things like bringing meals to each other and just, you know, sit. You know, I was, I was thinking about the video when, when Rachel and John Goldberg Poland yeah. were going to New York and how that neighborhood in Baca just basically, they all came out and were just greeting them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so like, that stuff feels like a revelation to me. Yeah. It's not an argument or anything like that, but it is a, it, there's something that feels like it reveals the face of God in that way. Yeah. And that's like very, very moving to me. Yeah, yeah I, I find that as you're, as you're speaking, I'm like, you know, a, a um, I'd say maybe a trope, or not a trope is not the right word, but I think a theme that I, that I very much connect with, you know, of godliness being found in the other, in the interaction. So it makes, it makes the way you're, you're describing it, it makes a lot of sense to me that when humans connect, that's where you see the godliness. And then in the moment of violence, when they're the worst to each other, then there is no God, right? And that's, that's kind of like just, just that, to me, it's like, oh, that's actually, of course there's no, right, divine in that moment, because humans are being right. barbaric. Right, I mean, the, the person who I find really helpful on this is Martin Buber's language of the notion that there is a space that he calls the between, right? There's like a, there's you and there's me and there's something here. And in the here, when you and I are both really here, there is, that's the revelation of God's face in some way. Yeah. That's a very moving thing. And, and violence is the opposite of that. Yeah. Violence is about on some of those saying, I don't see you, yeah. I, right? I'm invested in not, yeah. I can't see you right yeah. now. Yeah. So, yeah. So in a way, then, so like, where's God? Of course, it's not, like, that's exactly the point, right? Right. That's if you yeah. want to use traditional language, in those moments, we send God into exile. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is such a powerful image, you know, for, you know, it's, it's on the one, it's, it's devastating, this idea of God in exile. But it's comforting because, to me, I, I find some comfort in it because I think that it doesn't explain, it doesn't explain anything, right? But it but at least addresses the absence of it. You know, that like yeah. are. You know, it's interesting because Heschel says at one point, you know, something like, I'm probably getting this wrong, but you know, some people think the idea of God being with us in our suffering isn't worth very much. But for many of us who went through what we went through, that is like the only source of comfort there is. It's like, you know, that like God is there too. Shrinta Bigaluta, right? The, the the divine presence is an exile too. I completely just butchered that that quote, but that's the... We'll put in the, the, the description, we'll put a correction in the <laughs> exactly. citation. Yeah. And that, that, but that's the idea, and I think there's... I, I guess I relate to that some of the time, yeah. right? You know, a God who is not going to save me, but is going to be there with me. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I want to shift a little bit, and because I think that what I've... You and I talked about this a little, a little bit, very briefly, and, and something that, for me, I find, you know, when I f reflect back on how, where I grew up, right, my upbringing and the, 
the high school that I went to in particular, not, not, not after, after I went to Maragibo, I was fine, but you know, during the second intifada, learning in Efrat, and uh, you know, um, I can see, myself included, how uh, youth become radicalized very, very quickly, right? Because it's the, it's the, you know, the most basic is the science of hormones, right? And then there's just like um, um, uh, the pain and suffering that you see, and on top of that, some theological language that kind of activates you in a way that there is no, you cannot see the world through any other lens. Right. And I, you know, and that's something that I find so uh, challenging. I think that what people misunderstand, and I think it's, I, I don't know if it's obviously to, to the religious Zionist community, one that I, I come from. I don't know if, I don't know how, where I label myself these days, but certainly where I grew up. Um, I don't know if they're self-aware of that. And I think that others on the outside don't even know that that's happening. Right? They don't understand, you know, the, uh, what I'll call like applied messianism that comes through like of Cook's sons, Beit Midrash, right? Through Haramo and, and Milkas and, and, and I'm generalizing, right? But then through, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But so I, like, how do we develop, how do we develop a new theology or how do we think about asking questions that are still kind of in line with what we thought traditionally um, using the same language, but that kind of like remo removes the, 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 you know, uh, um, what's the word, our foot from the pedal, you know, from the uh, acceleration. Right. I mean, I, I will say on this issue, I've always found Rabbi David Hartman very helpful. The idea that the religious significance of the state of Israel is in the challenge and the opportunity that it represents, not in some narrative about what God is doing right now. I mean, one of the things that I always find amazing is, you know, all these rabbis who seem to think they know what God's policy prescription is for every, like, little corner of land somewhere. And it's just like... How do you know that? Um, I think what Zionism represents from a religious perspective is a chance to play out Torah in an expansive way that is not possible in diaspora. Um, that part of Shlilat Gola, that part of the negation of the diaspora, I think is actually fair, right? That, you know, at a, on a certain level, you know, sure, I can write something about, you know, what I think Halakha would say about healthcare in America. But in Israel, Rav Yuval Sherlo can be part of the conversation bringing halachic sources into a larger conversation, not determined by halacha, but influenced by yeah. Jewish culture. You know, it is about the aspiration to build a Jewish society, in the Jewish and Judaic society in some, in some sense. Um, I think, look, the, the narrative of the state as messianic First of all, I just think in a world in which people are slaughtered and you are obligated to go to war, in which just war and unjust war, that question can we can bracket, but even in a just war where you're being forced to kill lots of people who are innocent civilians, to call that the messianic age is just to live in a kind of ashlaya, a kind of delusion. Like, what are you actually talking about? We do not live in a messianic world. We live in a broken reality that is called olam hazeh, that is this world. So I think what we need to do is just like begin a whole different conversation about how to talk theologically and spiritually about what Zionism represents, about the ethics of power, which I don't want to learn from Rav Tau and Rav Avinir, right? Yeah. I don't want to learn that from them. I want to have a conversation about what are the Jewish ethics of power? And by the way, it's not simple, because as Michael Walzer has pointed out, the fact that the halachic tradition developed for 2,000 years in a period of powerlessness means that our 
discourse around just war, for example, is very thin. Yeah. Right? You know, it's not like the Catholics who spent thousands of years thinking about questions of power. They abused it, of course. Right. But, so, but so I think it's actually really, really hard, but those are the conversations we need to have. And, you know, um, the late Yoska uh, Achituv, uh, picking up on something that the philosopher Eliezer Goldman said, used to talk about that we need we need a non-delusional religious Zionism. I think that's like a really important formulation. Like, it's not, you know, we are not in, you know, we're past the Traklin, we're now on the inside of the mess. Just stop. It's like, you know, the, the, like, wrestle with the reality. You have a state operating in history, in politics, right? Like, you have to have a theology that on some level relates to the reality that you're inhabiting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I find that personally very, very meaningful. It's something that took me a while to kind of understand. I think that, you know, the place where I, I got my first, like my real wake-up call. I mean, there was high school, there was the army, fine. But then when I, um, I, uh, when I started Chobave, I did a first year in Israel and I went to some like, they just wanted me to send a Beit and I found some like weird yeshiva uh, in Ranana. And we were studying Kolotol. It's a book attributed to the Garan, his students. And, uh, and there's, some, there's some stuff there, you know, because they, they, the issue there I find, and, and for these people, and, I, and, I, and this is why I don't, like, I don't know. Like, I agree. I agree with what you're, everything that you're saying. But they're like, yeah, but we're counting. We're calculating. We have numbers. Yeah. We have numbers. And, you know, and, and they, have, they use language. And, and it's very compelling for people who feel, in a certain age, who feel angry. Who feel angry. And I, and I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm just like wondering, so how do we introduce that in a world or in a place where, where that language is like almost passe, right? Like a, a language of, of theology in our, in our world, right? Like it's, it's, it's so, I'll say it differently. The, the language of God and theology in Israel in particular is so um, uh, limited to a very specific segment, they're never gonna save themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are secular versions of the conversation that we're having about obligation and responsibility about you know what a people's destiny is. There are ways that we can talk that articulate some of these values in secular ways. And obviously, like it's my hope that we develop, you know, I talked about this earlier during my keynote, a different way of being religious. Um, I mean, look, if I were to be really honest, if the only two options for being religion, relig if the only two options for being religious that I saw much of the time were Tzvi Yehuda Cook and his circle, or Haredi culture. So I would also be Chiloni. I would also be secular because neither of those appeals to me. I understand they appeal to some people, I'm not, but to me, so I think we need to create way more opportunities for Israelis to just encounter Torah and mitzvot and Judaism in general in a, just a much more expansive palette of ways. I think, you know, this is a good place to pitch for Hadar, you know, with the work that you're doing in Israel. And I mean, I'm being a little silly, but I, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I, I think that part of this is, this is Allah Z3 or what we talk about. I think that it's Dafka, like the Torah of, of the diaspora that can kind of be infused and kind of temper a little bit of what we're seeing, right? Of the powerlessness and put that in there. You know, I think, you know, it's... We can talk about Micha Goodman and everything he's written, but there's one, there's a series of articles that he wrote a long time ago that became a base for a book later. And I know I'm not here to critique his work specifically, but he does talk about, 
and this is, I don't think this is like his, his like idea, but it's where I latched onto it of like the reason why we were talked about being a minority on the eve of going into the land, right? And how do we have to remember that is exactly because of what happens when you take someone who's been so power, powerless for so long, put them in a sovereign context, right? And then the, the, uh, the brutality that can come with that. And I think that for, in the moment we are in, this is the opportunity for, for a relationship where, where um, communities will understand, right? What does it mean to work with others? What does it mean to be pluralist? What does it mean to work with other minorities? Not to be forceful, not to be, you know, not, you don't have to use religion to, so that's where I, you know, I see a lot of hope in, you know, institutions like Hadar or Pardes, or even you look at the initiatives on the ground, um, if it's the alternative kashrut and conversions and all those things are, many of them are expats. Many of them are American expats, and they come and they bring some kind of like perspective of an outsider. I think that kind of helps. Right, it. right. I think that's a great thing because you know, for a long time, I worried that the main American Jewish contribution to religion in Israel was Kahanism. So now we have this alternative of a certain kind of humanistic yeah. frumkite, right? A kind of being religious in a way that's humanistic and, and affirming of the Tzelem Elohim, the dignity of every person. You know, I think I'm trying to think what the best way to say this is. I. It is certainly the case for me, personally, that my work on Hadar is about building what I mean by Datiyut Acheret. It's a Datiyut that is really, on the one hand, committed to being totally immersed in tradition and committed to it and its authority, and at the same time, being completely committed to hearing the stories of people, even and especially people who are hurt by or alienated by Torah. Mm. I always say to people, we build this Beit Midrash, there is no human experience that we will chase out of the room, right? You want to tell me that you're gay and Vayikra has ruined your life? I'm going to listen. You want to tell me that you're trans and you have no idea? I'm going to listen. You want, you know, you want to tell me that, you, whatever the story might be, right? Because I had had the experience as a kid in, 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 you know, in Yeshiva Day School of being told, you know, that's not a question we ask. Be quiet. Yeah. I, I'm not interested in that, right? I, I, I want to create space where people can really feel heard um, and understand that that is that stems from a commitment to Torah right that you know we're committed to listening Shema Yisrael right on yeah. some level like so so that's 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 I think really fundamental now you know does Hadar have a contribution to make in Israel so I, I, I don't have any kind of delusions of grandeur I think the answer is we don't know right we are making a series of small contributions, you know, learning with young adults, creating opportunities for a different kind of conversation about Torah and traditional texts, what it will mean down the road. I don't know. I don't know what Hadar means in North American Judaism, let alone in Israeli Judaism. I just know that I'm willing to stake my life on trying to build it. Yeah. Yeah. And thank goodness you are, because we need it. We need a try. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So um, thank you for joining us. This has been little taste of what we, uh, we can cover, but I really appreciate your time. Um, Thank you, know, you. Coming out here, schlepping for the keynote and the panel and now the podcast, it uh, really means the world and I'm uh, looking forward to more conversations. Amen, looking yeah. forward to it too, thank you.